to our lives, and, and it's one of the core values here at Family Life, and, and that is building healthy relationships or, or, or friendships. And uh, in fact, you know, the quality of our lives, if we look at the quality of our lives, is directly determined by the quality of our relationships. Have you ever noticed if your relationships are not going well, if you're not getting along with family, if you're not getting along with coworkers, if you're not getting along with your neighbor next door, how many know that it, it just kind of takes the punch out of life a little bit? Uh, our relationships directly determine how we're feeling uh, about our lives. And if we're able to develop strong relationships with the people we interact with on a daily basis, it, just ha- it, it adds tremendous value uh, to our lives. And here's what I've noticed. I've been pastoring for about uh, 20 years here in Sugarland area. I've noticed that the last 10 to 15 years, America in general, uh, relationships are not doing near as well. Friendships are not near as strong as, as, they, as they have been. The quality of relationships in our country has really suffered. And I think there's many reasons. First of all, we live in a fast-paced culture. It's go, 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 go. And, and I mean, I, you know, I've lived in a house for a year and a half and didn't know who my neighbors were. I mean, I know them now, but, but I, I mean, when I was coming and going, they were coming, I was coming in, they were going, and I mean, that, you have to be pretty busy. You have to be pretty busy uh, not, not, you know, not to talk to your, 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 your neighbors and, and different people. And, you know, it, it, it seems, I think, also the advancement of technology. Technology makes us think we have friends when, in fact, we may not. I mean, just, just think about that. And... Uh, so, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons, but it seems today, I, I talk with hundreds of people every week, and it seems today that, that one of the common problems that I'm seeing is that people have become so isolated. They're isolated away, and they, although they may talk to people, they don't really have uh, quality friendships. And so, just a couple thoughts to think about. You can have 500 friends on Facebook and still not have a real relationship. I know some of you are shocked right now. One of my, one of my friends has, has, he's maxed out his number of friends he can have on Facebook. Like 7,000, not that many, they don't let you have anymore. And I'm thinking, he doesn't know squat about those people. You, you know, I mean, I mean, seriously, how many of those 7,000, you know, do you, do, you, do you really know? I mean, his wife is on there, so I hope he knows her. But, I mean, you can, you, you can, you can have 10,000 people follow you on Twitter and not have a single meaningful relationship you can go to work every day with a company that has hundreds of employees and leave lonely every day. We, we have become really good at, at isolating ourselves. And uh, here's the definition of friendship in the dictionary, if you look it up. It says, the state of being friends, a close relationship, a, an attachment, a bond tied together through a common union. And although this definition you know, does not totally clarify the meaning of real friendships, we do see that it is centered around a common bond that produces a commitment between people. And we, we, we can see that if you're a true friend of somebody, if two people are truly friends, what it means is there's a loyalty to each other. See, a lot of times we have, you know, we know somebody. But they have no commitment to us. They have no loyalty to us. They'll throw us under the bus just like anyone else. 
friendships, there is a bond, there's a connection that makes people be committed to one another. It produces loyalty, you know, between the friends. And I, I was thinking about this this week, and one of my favorite stories in the Bible, uh, I believe, clarifies the true meaning of friendship. And it's found in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. So I want to read this this morning, and then I just, want to, I just want to mention four or five things that have to be present for you to have a real, a true friendship. It says a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were, were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? But God alone. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was, was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man, referring to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And so, and this story is, the story is really about a person who was in really bad shape, he was paralyzed, he couldn't help himself, but he had some friends who went out of their way to carry him to Jesus. And so I think we're going to learn a lot about friendship today. Before we, before we talk about friendship, I want to just give you a historical background to this story because I think that it will help you understand the background of the story, understand what's taking place here. Many times we, we read stories in the Bible, and because many, of, many people have never been to Israel, and you've never you know, done background, you, you don't understand some of the back things to the story that help it make sense. So let's talk about this. First of all, the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was a little fishing village on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, in the day of Jesus, it had about 1,500 people living there. And, and um, I think they're going to show a picture of Capernaum. So that's what modern-day Capernaum looks like. The, the walls are, are still intact there. And so most of these 1,500 people that were living there were in the fishing industry. They were in the fishing trade. And uh, it was also the home base of Jesus' ministry. We know that Jesus lived 33 years. And at the age of 30, he began his public ministry. And he would go all over Israel. He would go to all the synagogues. He would go on the hillsides. He would, he would sit in boats and, in, and um, in various places and even in the temple in Jerusalem. And he would teach the people of Israel. He, was, he, he just began his ministry doing that. But when he wasn't traveling, his home, where he lived, was this town of Capernaum. And some, something that's a little bit different about their culture, 
that would be foreign to us is that in these little towns and villages in Israel, they had an open door policy. And basically, when you went through a city, a city like this, um, the main street, all the front doors would open to the main street. And it was just the custom of the day that you just left your front door open. <clears throat> now, how would that, you say, I'm not leaving my front door open. There won't be anything left when I come home, you know? And, uh, but but it, it was just an open door policy. The only time you closed your door is if you, if you had some private family matters to attend to. And, uh, you know, so it, so the, these, these friends, they carry their, the paralyzed man to Jesus, and they, they can't get people to Jesus because the story says that people heard that Jesus had returned again to Capernaum. And the house they were in just filled up the inside, the outside. Hundreds of people were just packing around to hear the words of Jesus. You have to understand that in those days, uh, Jesus was doing so many miracles and people were so astonished by his teachings that everywhere he went, he, he, he attracted a crowd. And so when he came back again, people would have come just to hear Hey, what's going on while you've been gone? What has happened? What's the Lord, you know, what's God doing, you know, out there in the country of, of uh, uh, in our country of Israel? And so, you know, these friends, they carry him to Jesus, but they can't get to him. So it says that they go up on the roof, dig a hole in the roof, and lower the man down. So let me, let me explain to you how these houses were built. Uh, there would have been obviously much more simple structures than what we have today. It had been basically uh, probably about like your living room, probably half of some of your living room. And all these, all these uh, houses had flat roofs. And on top of, there, there, were, there were beams. There were beams that went across from wall to wall every three feet on the top of these, on the top of these roofs. And what you would do is you would put the, the, the beams across, then in between the beams you would fill them with any type of brush you could find in clay. And the clay would bake in the sun. It, it would provide a moisture barrier. And because these homes were so simple that many times in the evenings they used, they would go up on the roof of their house just to sit in. So in all these homes, there would have been a, a, a side access, a ladder, to help you get up on the roof. And also, you say it would just be clay. No, after the clay dried and hardened, they would, they would, they would put um, some of the natural local grasses on top of that and actually grow which would provide a cooler temperature you know in the house and so you know I was thinking this story is a great story except if you're the owner of the house everyone likes this story unless if somebody cuts a hole in your roof you know I mean hey that's not cool man I don't care if someone got healed or not wait till people clear out and bring him in you know but actually actually it could have been um could have been repaired uh, rather easily from how they were one, 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 last, one last important note I want you to realize is that notice that the first thing Jesus does in this story is this, this guy, this paralyzed guy is lowered right in front of him, and, and Jesus just says, your sins are forgiven. And this causes a huge stir. The religious leaders don't like it. Who are you to say you're forgiven sins? God alone can forgive sins. And the reason Jesus did this is because the religious leaders, the rabbis of this day, they had a thought. And the, it was well known, it was documented, it's written in historical documents, that if you have some type of physical impairment, if you're paralyzed, if you're sick, whatever it is, if you're incapacitated physically, it was because of a direct sin you've committed against God. 
And if you hadn't committed sin, perhaps it's the sin of your parents. So they saw all sickness was due to sin. And of course, we know that that is, that is not incorrect. So Jesus, Jesus just dealt with the elephant in the room right there, man. He just, he just said, man, hey, your, your sins are forgiven. If that's what you think I have to do to heal this man, your sins are forgiven. And that causes a, a big stir. And he says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and go home. But I wanted you to know that I, the Son of Man, has the power to forgive sins on the earth. And he tells the guy, get up, take your mat and go. And the guy walks out in, fuel, in full view of them. So we have this miracle. But this miracle would have never happened if these people, if these friends would not have brought their friend to Jesus. So I believe this story, it paints a picture of what true friendship means. And, and I, I think we have to evaluate some of our friendships. Sometimes we're putting so much time and effort into a relationship, but the truth is the people on the other end of the relationship, they don't have the capacity or they don't have the desire to return true friendship to us. How many of you would know it's better to have two real friends than a hundred who say they're your friends? It's, it just is. So let's look at this. Uh, a picture of true friendship, number one, is that true friendship is built on face-to-face communication. Now, I know this goes against our society today, but notice this paralyzed man, he did not put a, a, a post on Facebook saying, hey, I need four guys to carry me over to Jesus. You know, he didn't, he didn't put a selfie of his bad condition on Instagram and say, hey, can I get some help? He didn't tweet about help. The reason that his friends helped him is because every day they were interacting with him. They saw his agony. They saw his despair. They saw that, man, this guy was helpless to do anything for himself. So they came together and devised a plan to take him uh, to Jesus. But they, they, they interact with him face to face. And at that time, they had no choice. There was no internet, no phones, none of that. And... Uh, but if you think about it, the best way to really understand another person is through face-to-face communication. You just can't get a sense of what, how the person is receiving a text, a phone call, an email. Uh, you know, I was, it was funny, I was reading, a couple weeks ago I was reading, I was reading some research on personal communication with the younger generation. And this guy that has a Ph.D. in communication, and he's saying, man, listen, I've done all this research, and basically the younger generation, and it, that has, that it's infiltrating to the older generations as well, but the younger ones generally, they have a false sense of relationship because they're always texting people. They're always, you know, and I don't even know all the forms of communication. My kids are communicating different ways, and I'm like, what is that? Is that new? Like, no, Dad, you need to catch up with it. That's been out. That app's been out for years, you know, or whatever, or six months. What six months is like five years uh, in, in some ways. But, but he said that they have a false sense. And basically what he said is you can learn more about somebody having a cup of coffee with them than you can two weeks texting and emailing. See, when you sit down and you look at somebody, have you ever sent a text or, or something or an email and, you know, maybe it's, how do you, Maybe it's sensitive topic, and you're trying to put it as nice as you can, but you wish you could see their face when they read it. 
See, when, you, when you're with somebody face-to-face, you get to see their, their, their body language, their facial expressions. And you can tell really quick how they feel about a topic. And so, you know, I, basically it's not, it, you know, I know that you can. I mean, I, there's people in this congregation that, that, that fell in love by long-distance communication. And I'm glad it worked out for you, okay? <clears throat> but what I'm saying, in a natural sense, I mean, think about it. If you have a problem at work, do you text them? Do you email them? Do you call them? But the best way is to go to work and sit down for five minutes just to talk, right? And so, really, if you're good, at some point, if you're going to develop a deep relationship of friendship, at some point, there has to be face-to-face communication. But the second thing is this, very important. True friends help you when you can't help yourself. True friends help, true friends are there for you when you can't do it yourself, when life throws something at you that you just can't handle, when, when life throws something your way and you're like, man, I am in trouble. True friends help you when you can't help yourself. This, this paralyzed man was in quite a dilemma. You know, even if he wanted even if he knew that he needed to get to Jesus, even if he wanted to get to Jesus, he could not do it on his own. So, you know, his friends come together and they, they, they devise a plan to, to get him to Jesus. And maybe some of his friends are talking like, man, I hear about this guy named Jesus. And, man, he's opening blind eyes. There was a man that came out of the tomb after multiple days. He didn't smell or anything, you know. He's like, I hear these things that Jesus is doing. And we see our friend right now, he's in bad shape. We can't help him. Doctors can't help him. The only thing we can do is to get him to Jesus. Perhaps Jesus can help him. And, and so they talk about it. Then they build a stretcher to carry him there, uh, you know, to Capernaum. And here's a very interesting thing about the story, if you think about it. Where did they come from? We don't know. It's, it's possible they live right there in Capernaum, which you, you saw for yourself wasn't very big. But the greater chance is that they lived out in the hill, hillside. You know, these little villages had, had people. Then there would, be, there would be people spread all over the countryside. And it's very possible that these guys, these friends, had to carry him quite a distance. And the Israel country, Israeli countryside is very, very rugged and rough and steep. And, and uh, you know, if you notice, if you notice, if you're reading the story, you realize that he didn't just have four friends take him to Jesus. He said four of them were carrying him. There was others in this procession, and I personally, I believe it's because, you know, four would carry him for a little bit, and they would rotate out and keep going. I believe they carried him, uh, you know, quite, quite a ways. And he, here's, here's the thought, and I just want to be honest today, and, and I hope that you'll be honest with yourself. Well, I'll be honest with you if you're honest with me. Will you be honest with me? We'll be honest with yourself. We be honest with God. All right, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. That's a lot of promises right there. I see some of you saying, well, "I didn't raise my hand. I didn't say anything." Is that lady on the second row just singing like a canary? She's saying everything. Okay. Here's the truth. Here's what I know about human nature for all of us. All of us would like to think that we're independent, wouldn't we? We we all like the thought of ourselves being dependent that we can handle life on our own, uh, but, but the day comes for every one of us, and it may not have happened yet, but the day will come for all of us 
when we can't handle what life throws us on our own and we need somebody to help us, we need friends, uh, you know, to help us. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, this is Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, it says this, two are better than one because they have a good return on their, for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Okay, now I told you I'd be honest with you. And I, I want to I share something with you. In the, in the past, over the past couple years, the Lord really has, has just rocked my world and and he's shown me things about myself that I didn't, I didn't previously know, I didn't realize. And, and here's what he showed me. I, the Lord has always blessed me. I've always had great friends. But I realized the last couple of years that honestly, um, I, I wanted to be so self-reliant. And honestly, if I'm just honest, I had pride in my life so that even when friends would ask me to help me, I would tell them no. Do you do that? I mean, I'm moving, and my friends ask, hey, you need us to help you move? No, we got it. Hey, you need help you come in? Oh, I got it. You know, I got it. And then, and then, over a two-year period, my house flooded twice. You know what I realized? I don't got it. I don't got it at all. I, I need, like, I need help, you know? You know, the, the, the worst thing about a flooded home is when you, you know, after the water goes down, when you first go back and walk into your house, it smells so bad. It smells terrible. And you look at the walls, the walls are all buckled in. You know, your furniture is discolored. The floors are coming up. And then the cabinets won't close. I mean, it's just, it's just terrible. And, you know, so last year in Hurricane Harvey, uh, I'll never forget this, we had 30 people show up at our house. Tracy's a teacher at, at Cornerstone, and we had a bunch of teachers show up from Cornerstone. We, we had people, some of our friends came, people I didn't even know came. And, and we, had thir- we had 30 people. And we started at 8 o'clock. From, from 8 till about 1 o'clock, we cleaned out every wet, all the wet debris of our house. I mean, we cut out four feet of sheetrock. We, we had carried all the cabinets out all the furniture out. We had pulled up all the floors and put fans and dehumidifiers down. So even after, after five hours, now, all, now granted all of our possessions in our front yard, which that's not a good thing, but the house smells better. It smells better. And now if, if I would have tried to do all that on my own, it would have taken three days for my family of five to do that. They did it in four hours because of friends. As a matter of fact, my two neighbors didn't have any friends show up. We had so many people, we sent half of them to my left, neighbor on the left and half of them to my neighbor on the right. We did all their houses too. But, but it, it's amazing the, 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 the value, the value of, of, of real friendships. So real friends help you when you can't help yourself. You know, when you're in dire needs and you call somebody and they make excuses not to help, you may consider that they're, maybe they're not your real, a real friend. If, a, if someone calls you in dire need and you don't have the initiative to go help them, 
when they can't help themselves. You may consider the fact that maybe you're not a true friend. True friends help others when they cannot help themselves. Number three, true friends are resourceful. Now imagine this scene. They carry this guy. They finally reach the home where Jesus is. And surprise, surprise, several hundred other people realize they needed Jesus too. I mean, there's, there's, there's just the house is packed. The outside is packed. As a matter of fact, you don't, you're not even sure which house Jesus is really in. There's, just, there's people everywhere. And, uh, but you, you, you notice, you know, there's just a traffic jam that the, the friends don't give up. They don't give up. They're determined to get their friend to Jesus. They know that Jesus is the only one that can help him out. And then they just, they refuse. They refuse to take no for an answer. That's what friends do. They're resourceful. If plan A doesn't work, they go to plan B. But they, they refuse. These guys refuse. Man, we've carried this guy for however long. We're not going back till we see Jesus. I will camp out. We are not going back until you know, we see Jesus. And, and so again, somehow they find the ladder, they get up on the roof, they dig through the roof, and they have to find ropes to lower their friend because it's probably not good just to drop him. Although we know he wouldn't feel it, right? I mean, that's just, that's not a welcome way to Jesus. We don't want, we lower him down, we lower him down. Yeah, I know some friends that would have carried me there, but they may have dropped me through the roof. You know something like that? Well, if Jesus can heal, if Jesus can heal him being paralyzed, they can fix that too, you know? Anyway, I love those friends too. But the, these friends were so convinced that, that Jesus could heal their friend that, you know, they became resourceful in finding a way. And what's really funny is Jesus never really addresses the paralyzed guy except he says, your sins are forgiven, take your mat and walk. But what he does is he addresses the faith of the friends. The story says, when Jesus saw the faith, of these friends that carried him to Jesus, he was moved to action. He was moved to heal. So, so the faith of these people, or you could say the resourcefulness of these guys to refuse to take no for an answer and to get him to Jesus, it, it, it shocked Jesus. It, it, it really caught him. You know, it, it did something to him. And let, let's face it, there's not many times when you're speaking and someone comes to the roof. I mean, that's kind of like a new development, you know? I'll never, I'll never forget. Have you ever had somebody help you, and you were just stymied? You couldn't think of how, what, what a good thing to And you got some friends in, they start coming up with different ideas. So one time, uh, when I was in the military, I got a call that my granddad had died. My dad's dad had died. And, and so um, I bought a plane ticket. I was living in California. I bought a plane ticket to flying into the funeral. But the airport was quite a ways away, and to take a taxi, it would have, it would have been very expensive. And uh, so my friend said, hey, we're going right that way. We'll drop you off. Now, my, my, friend, my friend's name is Michael Raleigh. He's a great guy. Um, sometimes a little bit crazy, okay? So we're driving down the road, and the, there, there's some type of a wreck or something. And, uh, you know, this, this freeway, which normally was, was very open, it was a parking lot. There was nothing. And again, there's no cell phones. There's no way to check in or anything like that. And so 
Uh, and we're already cutting it a little bit close than we probably should have because, you know, back in those days, you didn't have to get there two hours early. And uh, so I said, hey, Mike, don't worry about it. Uh, I can just, just get me to the airport, and I'll book another flight. Hopefully they have one before the funeral. And, man, my, Michael, he's like, Terry, I'm going to get you to the airport. I told you I'm going to get you to the airport. I'm going to get you on the airport. Now, we were on one of those bridges going over under uh, an underpass there. And we're in a car. We're not in a truck. We're not in. He just jumps the curb and starts driving down the side embankment of the hill. He said, yeah, I can see the traffic jam's only about two miles long. We just have to get up there. And we've never been in this place before. He starts going down the road. He starts going the wrong way down one-way streets on purpose. Terry, it's the only way. I told you I'd get you there. I'm going to get you there. I was scared to death. I'm like, man, it's going to be coming to my funeral. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, well, I was actually, my greatest concern was not death. My greatest concern that I was going to end up in jail. That was my greatest concern. Um, but anyway, got to the airport, got there, got there on time. And, uh, but, I, but you think back on that, it's like, man, he was resourceful. And I mean, I wish he wouldn't have broken so many laws. And, you know, there's a lot of things I wish he wouldn't have done. But the bottom line is, he said he'd get me to the airport. He got me to the airport. So friends are resourceful. And here's another thing is that God will send you friends in your time of need. God will send you friends in your time of need. As I was thinking about this story and really reading it, and whenever I speak on something, I just read it over and over again, and I think about it and for several days. And, and the Holy Spirit, I think, revealed something to me that I hadn't thought about before. And, and here, here's what he revealed to me, that I, I, I believe it's not without the realm of possibility that when these, this group of friends came carrying their friend to the house, here's what I know. They're trying to figure out there's people everywhere. Which house is it? They don't, they don't really know anything about the house. And I believe some of the local people there in Capernaum started assisting in the program. Well, you know, hey, there's a ladder on the back. Why don't you climb up on the ladder and, and, and knock a hole in the roof and, and lower him down? I, you know, I, I just think that some other people got involved, perhaps while they're carrying him. Some people along the way <coughs> start beginning, uh, beginning, begin to help them. And, uh, you know, so I believe that people that had never even met the paralyzed man started helping the friends get the paralyzed man to Jesus. And so the thought is that God will send his friends in our time of need. I, I, had, a remarkable, I had a remarkable event happen to me last year that really I'm still trying to, get my, to wrap my head around. You know, sometimes in life things happen and you're still trying to figure out how they happen, how God orchestrated that. But, you know, during, so during Hurricane Harvey, um, so my, the reason my house, you know, my house had been built for 12 years, it had never flooded. And in those two years it flooded, it didn't flood from rainwater. It flooded because the Brazos River overflowed its banks. It got higher two years in a row than it's ever been in its history since they've been recording it. And basically water comes over the river, across the fields, and comes between my house and my neighbor's house. Or actually, it does that in three places in our subdivision. So, you know, water starts flooding through my house. So I knew the projected river levels. I knew that my house was going to flood if it got to those projected levels. So I'm like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take initiative. So I went, I drove to Louisiana, and I bought an Aquadam. As a matter of fact, in my neighborhood, I'm called, they just call me Aquadam Man. I, got, I made the news and everything. 
So show the pictures. I think they have some pictures. So that's my house. That's the aqua dam. The aqua dam is three feet high, three and a half feet high. So it's up to here, and that—that's the water around 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 my house. So, uh, so anyway, my my family had evacuated the house. So I'm just sitting there by myself, waiting for the water. I know it's coming, and um, so when the water started coming in the neighborhood, people around the neighborhood they always drive to my house to see how the water's coming. You know, how much water is coming in your house yet? You know, and um, so it was. I remember it was. It was, it was night, it was dark, and these four guys, I believe there were four guys, they came driving up and they got out, and I, I'm like behind the aqua dam, and I waved to them. They said, hey, yeah, water's starting to come. I'm like, yeah, it's coming. Um, and they said, uh, hey, if you need anything during the night, or if you need anything, just give us a call. And, and, the, and I was like, I had no intentions of calling these people. Because I got my aqua dam, I'm self-sufficient, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I don't need anyone else's help, right? Okay? So he, he said, let me give you my number. He said, you'll remember my name. My name is James Bond. <laughs> he said, seriously. Seriously. And so he gave me his cell number and I put it down. Well, you know, what happened is, is you, I, they showed those pictures. So, so much water started coming and it was just raging through that the aqua dam had... 40,000 gallons of water in it. I emptied my pool three times to fill this thing up. You fill it with water and it repels water. It began to literally lift this thing up and push it into my house. So when it did that, it created leaks underneath it. So water started coming in the aqua dam. <clears throat> but that was okay because I had a pump. And I started pumping water out. I, so I pumped water by myself for about four or five hours. It's about one or two in the morning. And I'm thinking, man, this is really bad. But the, see, the thing is, is that none of my friends could get in to help me anyway because the, the police had shut off my neighborhood because it's not safe to come in. And I'm like, man, what can I do? I don't, I don't know if I can make it all night by myself, you know. And so I was like, I'm going to call James Bond. I don't know what James thought when he saw his phone ringing. I said, hey, James, this is Terry. I said, hey, man, I think I'm going to take you up on it. You offered to help me. I'm going to take you up on it. He said, okay, I'll, I'll be there in a little bit. I said, hey, if you can bring those other guys too. Well, he came by himself because the other guys, they offered. But Now, I had never met this man in my life. And I'll never forget it because he came driving up on a jet ski. He drove it right up on my neighbor's yard. Whoa, and banked it. He's like, you think they'll mind? I'm like, I don't think anyone, no one's here, James. They're not going to mind, right? And I'll never forget it. So this guy, every 15 minutes, but it turned the pump on and pump water. We had to dig holes. This guy that I had never met before came out and pumped all night until he had to go to work at 7 in the morning. And so... None of my friends could get to me. God provided a friend. And even though my home later flooded and all that, um, you know, at that time, I just needed someone to talk to. It didn't matter what happened. I just needed someone to talk to. As a matter of fact, one time we were pumping water, and he looked out there, and his jet ski, water had risen. His jet ski was going down the road. He's swimming out there to try to get it, get his, get his, get his jet ski. It was funny. Tracy called me at about 3 in the morning because she had left, and she said, how, how are you doing? Because our previous conversations, I think she was concerned. I said, man, 
I said, I'm doing better. James Bond is here helping me. She thought I had lost my mind, you know. So he has lost his mind. I was reading an article yesterday, and uh, it's, it's quite interesting. You know, the article said this, that 80% of people in our country, in America, believe in God, but fewer and fewer people feel the need to go to church anymore, to be a part of a local church. And, and so this guy... Uh, he's just, he's like, I'm intrigued by that because, like, if you're, you know, he's like, I know people that are sinners and you find them in bars. I know people who love sports and you, and you find them in sports stadiums or playing sports. So shouldn't you find an authentic, genuine Christian in church? He's confused by that. So he, he did all this in-depth research about it. And, uh, you know, he said, he said, he found three things. He said... The first thing I found is, you know, people say, well, you know, we can sit at home and watch, listen to worship, listen to a sermon, watch TV, watch church on TV. They said that, but they said, well, how often do you actually do that? They said, oh, maybe once a month. So it's not like that was really filling need. The next thing he found is that, is that people had, that we've developed a, such an unrealistic expectation of things that people have a hard time going to church because the church is made up of people and no church is perfect right? So they, they go to church and they always find a reason why that church isn't any good, you know, instead of just saying, what can I do? But he said, he said, so there's those two reasons, unrealistic expectations, um, everything is so conveniently available, but he said, you know what the real problem is? Is that people today have devalued the sense of community. That we don't have a sense of community anymore. Uh, and, and, you know, really, if you think about it, church is supposed to be about more than just a sermon and music and your children going to children's church. You know, church is supposed to be about community. It's supposed to be about friendships and relationships and serving other people and serving the community and, and being involved in the lives of people. That's what church is supposed to about, be about. But again, not just Christians in church. But our whole country, I would say that the majority of people that you interact with occasionally, so many of them are isolated. So many people are isolated, and they don't have any real friendships. I want to close with this one final thought. And the worship team, if you, if you would come up, that would be good. The last thing is this, is that the best friend we can have is Jesus. The best friend we can have is Jesus. And think of this, no matter how great, this guy's friends were. And I, and I say they were great friends for everything they did to get him to Jesus. I mean, it's hard to find better friends than that. They, you know, they encouraged him. They supported him. They prayed for him. But you know what they knew? They knew that really they had limitations in their capacity to help him. They, they couldn't heal him. They couldn't make him more comfortable. There was nothing... And so they, they realized that, man, we've done everything we can do except to take him to Jesus. They realized that only G Jesus was the only one, uh, you know, who could, who could make his life whole and, and meet his deepest, deepest needs. And so think of this with us today. No matter how great our friendships are, our friends have a limited capacity to, to help us. So what a real friend can do is point you to Jesus, help you get 
uh, to Jesus. This story teaches us that true friends always lead us to Jesus. And, and think about the story of the Bible for just a minute. God sent Jesus into the world to open the door for us to have a relationship with him. He came to earth to take care of our greatest need. Our greatest need was to be forgiven of our sins. You learn all the way back in Genesis uh, that the separation between us and God and our relationship what, 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 you know, was our sin. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're here this morning. And I'm sure there's a lot of people here this morning who you know in your heart that your greatest need is Jesus. That your greatest need is Jesus. And, you know, the funny thing is, is we try all kind of things to fill the void in our lives. Some people try drugs or alcohol. Other people try relationships, possessions, hobbies. But at some point you realize that your, your greatest need really is, is just to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to I pray for you, but I'm going to close with one scripture. One of my favorite scriptures is, is, is Proverbs 18.24, and it says this, One who has unreliable friends come to ruin. Isn't that true? If all your friends say they'll help you and they won't, you're, you're going to be in trouble. But it, it says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And, and, and I do agree. I have some friends that I believe would stick with me closer than even family blood. But, you know, I, I think the Scripture is really pointing us to Jesus. That, you know, even, even when your friends, even if they try everything they can, they let you down because we're all human or they disappoint you, there's always one friend who will never let us down, and his name is Jesus. Would you stand with me today? Would you close your eyes?